So many of us go through life doing one thing and dreaming of doing something else. I'm one of those people. I'm in show business. I'm very fortunate to have that job. But quite frankly, if I'd studied harder, been graded more fairly, I'm a scientist. Or Albert Brooks was born Albert Lawrence Einstein. His father, Harry Einstein, known as Nick the Greek Chef or Parky Carcass, was a comedian whose fame came with the rise of the first wave of American mass media. Harry had been a Hearst reporter and an ad man who took up comedy as a fun hobby. During the 1920s, as American mass media came into its own, Harry started appearing on WEEI in Boston doing comedy skits while he headed the radio department at a furniture company. His friends, including the band leader Joe Rhines, began encouraging him to do comedy full-time on the radio and quit the advertising business. Finally, Harry took Rhines up on the offer to appear on his radio show as a Greek character. These appearances were so popular the national radio networks began to take notice. Harry was invited onto the Eddie Cantor show, which was a huge break. If you've ever seen Boardwalk Empire, you can see how popular Eddie Cantor was. Nick the Greek Chef became a regular feature on Eddie Cantor's show and then on Al Jolson's radio show. This was the mid-1930s, so the jazz singer had already come out, but comedy films were popular around the country. <laughs> You can brush off a Russian, a Russian won't think Russian. You may brush up Russian, but never brush a Russian. Oh, you pronounce it Russian, you reach the same conclusion. A Russian won't think Russian, so you may do your worst. And Harry's Greek, Nick Parky Carcass character, appeared in a handful. Eventually, this led to Harry's own radio show, Meet Me at Parky's, which debuted in 1945 and ran for three years on NBC. NBC would feature heavily on his son Albert's career as well. On the radio, he was Nick Parky Carcass, hapless Greek restaurant owner. From there, Harry worked steadily as a comedian, eventually collapsing and dying of a fatal heart attack during a Friars Club roast of Lucy and Desi Arnaz in 1958. This death traumatized his 11-year-old son, Albert Brooks, who would use comedy as a way to cope with this huge loss. I only go into so much detail about Harry Einstein, because I think Albert Brooks' career mirrored his father's. 
radio had been this mass media movement giving everyone in America the same news at the same time and solidifying the networks, including NBC, as household names, crucial to the families across the country. By the 1970s, when Albert Brooks, now no longer Einstein, and his older brother, Bob Einstein, who would go on to play Super Dave Osborne and Marty Funkhauser, were getting situated, there was a new mass media format, which had boomed from 9% to 90% of families during the 1960s. Television gave Bob Einstein his start writing for the Smothers Brothers, and gave Albert Brooks, who was part of the radio comedy team, the Credibility Gap, national prominence when shows like The Tonight Show on NBC had him on as a guest to perform stand-up. Now, ladies and gentlemen, hey, I could have fooled you, you know what I mean? What, to get laughs? I could have fooled you to get laughs, but that's not what it's all about. I'm trying to be honest with you. I'm what, I couldn't resort to cheap tricks? Come on, I could drop my pants as easy as anyone in the business, you know what I mean? What? Cool. from Sear, I can stop a makeup man in the hall and say, do me a favor, draw a funny uh, face on my chest. <laughs> like Nick, the Greek chef, Albert Brooks created a persona for his act, narcissistic, egotistical, and nervous, a consummate Hollywood insider. His comedy landed him a role with Scorsese and Taxi Driver and five short mockumentaries that he wrote and directed for SNL. How many times have you gotten nice laughs at a party, had a friend turn to you and say, you know something? That was pretty funny. You should think about being a comedian. Well, your friend was right. Yes, the comedy fraternity of show business is a fast-paced, nutty, funny world. There are always openings for good comedy talent. But you say, I just don't know if I have what it takes to become a professional, Albert. So I say, why not find out? Finally, in 1979, Albert Brooks is ready for the career he'd really be known for he decided to write and direct his first movie. This movie was real life, a daring and ahead of its time spoof of what would later be called reality TV. He co-wrote Real Life with Harry Shearer, who had just been hired by SNL, who would go on to be a member of Spinal Tap and half the voices on The Simpsons. And Monica Johnson would become his longtime collaborator. I think you're overreacting. I mean, I know what you're saying, but I think it showed you in a very good light. It was very interesting. I appreciate that, but I'm going to have to continue to work here after this film comes out. And I don't know if I owned an animal and I saw me losing that horse with her. I would trust me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but I wouldn't worry about it. I mean, you see, people go to doctors for personal reasons, and you gave off something very good in there. I say it's ahead of its time because it parodied the first example of reality TV before we knew that's where TV was actually going to be heading. At the time, it was idiosyncratic and experimental. The TV series, An American Family, was created by Craig Gilbert. Gilbert followed around a typical American family from California, the Loud family, in 1971 for seven months. You take him to lunch and he'll eat four steaks and a couple of chickens, really. No strain, three or four meals at a sitting. Eight or nine salads, and then he doesn't eat for about three or four days. He doesn't sleep more. He'll, he'll go without sleep for uh, for three days. Doesn't sleep. How old is he now? About 95. <laughs> <laughs> so he's 20. 20 years old. 20? Yeah, just the health is just ruined. Completely ruined. Is it? No. And he'll, never, he'll never make it to 25. Does he have any talents at all? Uh, Which would provide a living? Uh, yeah, he's going to end up as a salesman. He's got a personality. That's about all. He's got yeah. Audiences followed along as Bill and Pat Loud, who were on the verge of a divorce already but seemed to epitomize the American dream, 
had their idyllic life fall apart with camera crews following them around. Albert Brooks parodied that TV series in 1979's Real Life, putting himself at the center as the filmmaker character. This is already a meta-representation. Albert Brooks makes constant reference to his frequent Tonight Show and Ed Sullivan appearances and his five short documentaries. Here they're actual documentaries, not spoofs, as proof of his resume. He descends upon this nervous family, played by Charles Grodin and Francis McCain, and ruins their lives in short order. This version of reality TV parodies the American Family version, treating it as an experiment working with medical clinical professionals, which already exists as a multi-sided contradiction. As holistic and psychological as you want to be about it, television is a commercial product which sells advertisements on entertainment. The network executive character who doesn't get it, Albert Brooks, is the creative force, and the psychological institute are at a constant loggerhead. These are totally different incentives. Had you heard of the institute before the project began? No. Which of the tests did you enjoy the most? I enjoyed working with the computers. I wouldn't say that I enjoyed any of the testing. <laughs> but Albert Brooks manages to expose questions that would come to plague reality TV decades later. Reality, as portrayed on the television, is always going to be mediated by the cameras. Cinema Verite was already a tenuous concept, going back as far as the 1922 film The Nuke of the North, which proclaimed to show Inuit people in their natural environment. It was really mostly staged by the showman and explorer-turned-director, Robert Flaherty. Television, of course, is a medium that demands constant entertainment for a mass audience. But the sad truth is that most of the time, real life, as we experience it, is boring and uneventful. If it wasn't, television would probably not be a popular way to spend the time. Reality TV, on the other hand, is rarely boring. And so the question of authenticity, or in wrestlers' terms, kayfabe, has always been part of media analysis. Albert Brooks is already grappling with that in real life, as he is the real central chaotic force in the film. Real life was far ahead of its time, and the reviews, which were lackluster at the time, show that. Essentially deconstructing a genre, which had only been invented six years ago, and was not even mapped out as a genre. Albert Brooks slammed into another fascinating thing, which has plagued reality TV from the beginning. In the six years since it aired, the American Family family had their lives ruined and turned upside down by the press from their reality show. Making a normal family into celebrities for their normality had not been done yet. It was damaging psychologically and draining emotionally. Albert Brooks parodied that phenomenon in real time as he and the Jaeger family become the story in the news media. Second set of cameras tracking a family who are being watched continually by the first set, which adds another layer of mediation. At one point, the news anchor asked the family to stage a breakfast they were already in the process of eating family having breakfast and I thought maybe when you're done if you could get them to put on another quick little breakfast thing for us to film it it really help us out I beg your pardon. at this point in the 21st century I think that a basic understanding between TV audiences and the industry has been reached we don't want the typical American family reflected back at us we want freaks we want something special something different reflected back at us with the TV pretending that it's reality and Albert Brooks gives us probably the best freak he knows himself 
Shows like Jersey Shore or the aptly named The Real World pretend to do were real-life parodies decades before they even existed. They show us their mismatched cast, plucked from obscurity, sleeping or having sex, or even in quick moments of boredom. But it's a show, and these are characters, and this is all unreality. And, as Albert Brooks learns in real life, that is ultimately for the best. I never thought I'd say this. The studio is right. The audience loves fake. They crave fake. Reality sucks. I can do fake. I'm capable. I just won't get a chance. I won't ever be able to work again. Come on, take it easy. Anyway, before I introduce the panel, please like this video and subscribe to the Movie Night Extravaganza YouTube channel. Hit that bell to get notified whenever we're streaming. Also, we are now monetized, so if you have any pressing questions during this live stream, send us a super chat, which helps me keep the show running, and which I am obligated by international law, human rights law, to answer. We also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash movie night extra. All of our after parties are on there forever. Okay, let me introduce the panel. Conan Neutron, host of Bretonic Reversal, co-host of Movie Night Extravaganza, and frontman for Conan Neutron and the Secret Friends, neutronfriends.bandcamp.com. Conan Neutron and the Secret Friends has a new split LP with Lung, Adult Prom, available now on Bandcamp. J. Andrew World, illustrator, book cover artist, artist for Give Them an Argument, co-host for Movie Night Extravaganza, and Bad Takes. Christina Oaks, this Barbie is streaming on Twitch, twitch.tv slash cosmopolitics. Twitter, Instagram, and Blue Sky at Cosmopolitics. Send her some subs on Twitch. Sam Cedar is the host of The Majority Report, an MSNBC contributor, actor, comedian, and voice actor playing Hugo on Bob's Burgers. I, of course, am your host, and the world's first reality TV producer to say it's okay to be fake. Fake friends are okay. <laughs> Forrest Miller. Let's get that depressed family up and moving. I'm here to make friends. <laughs> uh sam welcome back it's great to have you back man thanks yeah. uh that was great that was a great intro i really enjoyed that yeah i think i put too much into it but it's okay you know we keep it we keep it moving that's all the time we got folks good night <laughs> also i have to i have to get a new uh, headshot i think i think that would yeah awesome. that's what that's, like, uh, that's, that's like, actually what my mother said 15 years old i think Yo, but that Mom line, uh, huh. that that line that's um like, how do you copyright a person's life? Uh, hum a few bars and figure it out. Yeah. It's so eerily prescient right now with like <laughs> the rise of like uh cops like playing Taylor Swift music or whatever to make sure that they yeah. filmed yeah. and like all of these different ways that people like copyright actual moments of existence. Yeah, that kind Paris of blew Hilton, my mind. Uh, did some weird t tried to copyright some weird things, and I can't even remember what they are off the top of my head. But sex tape. <laughs> Was that one of them? <laughs> I guess. All right. I don't care. Anyway, so <laughs> what's notable for real life, I was, I, I'm an Albert Brooks fan, and I've, I've seen the vast majority of his movies. I did not know about this one until, Ooh. Sam, you and I were talking about, like, hey, what would you uh, what would you want else to do? And then I, like, read the description. I'm like, that sounds incredible. And then and, – and, and I think the um, – it wasn't the poster, but it, like one of the screen caps was one of the people with those weird helmet cams. Yeah. And I was like, what is that? What is <laughs> And it's funny. And, and for the for those that haven't seen the film, and I'm assuming some of the people watching, uh, not everyone has, those are the cameras. So he's basically predicting like GoPros 
and, and like modern, you know, filming your phone and stuff. But in 1979, and the conceit of which is this crazy like cyborg looking helmet where they have their hands kind of in it, and which is great because anytime there's like some crazy pregnant dramatic moment, then you see these like cyborg looking things right around that are filming it, which is just it's just a, it's a great bit. It works really well. Yeah, there we go. Thanks, thanks. The for one, the one, uh, the one part of it that works really well too. Uh, when they're doing the montage and he's like, I'm going to show the French how to do a real montage. Uh, you see them in like a moment of intimacy and Charles Grodin, like the Mr. Yeager character looks down. You can tell he's looking into the eyes of the camera, like yeah. uncomfortably, like realizing that he almost is like having sex with his wife with the camera watching him. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really thought, and I kid you not, when I when before I like read the synopsis, I was like, is this about like, you know, there's a reality show, but like there's they replace them with robots? <laughs> it was like, oh no, no, those are the cameras. Okay, that that's makes what sense. I thought too. Because Imagine you think about what the Harry Shearer under those helmets, by the way. Is it really? Fantastic. Yeah. Uh the well, I, I love that idea because think about like in the technology of 1979, you know, like it it doesn't exist like how it does now. So how would you shoot something like that? So I I just it's it just shows to the man's cleverness. Well, I don't even that. know if there was um I mean I'm thinking to the video cameras that existed. Well, I guess, I mean, the video cameras would have been quite big, but nobody was shooting anything on video. Yeah. Uh, they, you know, nobody was shooting. The, uh, the first camcorder, which I'm looking this up right now, which put up what you put it on your shoulder. It's not like the small right. camcorder. No, they were big. The oh, I had one. I remember. Was uh, <laughs> released for Betamax in 1983. So this is four years before even before the, the, yeah, the, yeah. Yeah, the, like the, yeah. The, the giant yeah. ones. That's what's amazing they're, they're about digital it. Digital too. Like, like that's the interesting thing is that they're digital. Uh, you know, they got those massive cards that they have to send in. Um, yeah, which is a funny bit. I mean, yeah, well, yes. well, but it's prescient too because think about like, okay, now we have GoPros with like a micro SD card and whatnot, right. or people could just you know you could do 4K on your phone, which blows my mind, uh, frankly. Yeah. Still. Yeah. Uh, but it's he was ahead of all of that right, with this, and so it was amazing to have. And it's explained in such a way that makes sense for the time, but also kind of like, oh, yeah, it puts you right in it, right? It, it, it's, just, it's just well, it's really well done. And between this and the, <laughs> thanks, letter hack. Notice I stop when I get complimented. Anyway, uh, <laughs> the, the, but the uh, the thing with, with um, Albert Brooks, and, and I really realized this watching the documentary recently, too, is it's like, man, it was pretty forward thinking. Really, like, like almost too ahead of his time for his own good. <laughs> yeah, time. on everything he did from his act where he literally did the act where he pretended to be the, the guy with the elephant, but the elephant got sick and he has yeah. the frog on his shoulder. So he just he's doing the same tricks as he would with an elephant with the yeah, frog. Yeah. And the other one where he's uh, doing the uh, the the recorder thing with the with the letters and each time you press the letter and he's like, so he's like, and that bit's been done by so many other people since then. Like, and he would try them well. out on like yeah. Johnny Carson. Yeah. <laughs> Which, yeah, yeah. Johnny Carson would encourage him to do it, which Johnny Carson is not known as like a forward-thinking comedian necessarily, right? Like, yeah. he's kind of, at least by this point, he's kind of the guy that's like, all right, that's like the old guy that you know, like a Letterman type figure, where it's like it's like the the older guy that like he was once kind of ahead of stuff, but like you know, he might have yeah. lost or something like that. Like he has all the politicians on. And he's encouraging him every time to come out and try something new and surprise, him, which is kind of a, an amazing uh, fact from that documentary. Well, the interesting thing I think about like uh, Brooks in terms of his comedy is that um, he was deconstructing comedy before comedy was like a really full on 
thing. I mean, it was, it existed on these like, um, you know, these variety shows, which were really big. Like everybody had a variety show. Share Smothers Brothers. Yeah, yeah, it was very point. Yeah, and but he was deconstructing something. So like when I uh, got into comedy, and all the comedians that I, the school of comedy I came from, was very like, I want to say it was anti-comedy, but it was pretty close to that. Like there was a real reaction to. Um, like the the explosion of stand-up in the 80s and how sort of like commodified it had become. And so the comedians that I ran with all, I think um, Albert Brooks was really a big influence because it, so much of it was anti-comedy. I mean, I hadn't, to be honest with you, like I hadn't seen much of his stand-up at all. I mean, I don't know if you call it stand-up really. Um, I hadn't seen- um, his, his acts. I his guess. acts. Yeah. I mean, everything I knew him from was his um, Saturday Night Live shorts or his films or his comedy albums. Like, uh, like I still he had a, comedy, a, a albums. comedy albums yeah. of of uh, prank phone calls that were all not good. And yeah. they were all just deconstructing, you know, the, the prank phone call. Yeah. Um, and so much of like his comedy was that and um it it was interesting because I, I realized like most of the comedy work that i ultimately did live uh was more like the bits that he was doing you know when i came down to new york i was doing a little bit of stand-up but really it was sort of this weird it was the alternative comedy scene was just uh exploding in new york i mean I, exploding is probably an overstatement it was happening in New York, and yeah, well, even even like uh, Andy Kaufman, right? Like that that yeah. kind of uh, anti comedy thing is is following mm -hmm. directly. I mean, directly behind the footsteps of Albert Brooks, but like definitely, it's still like it's like within his his, his footprint, right? Like uh, well, that those characters. I mean, Brooks was deconstructing comedy, and I think like Andy Kaufman was almost anti comedy at times. Yeah, and you know, like. You can track like Albert Brooks and like Gary Shan, like they were all yeah. they were they were deconstructing all that stuff. And I, I mean, you know, for me when I was doing comedy, like it was Albert Brooks. Um, again, because I was doing video stuff from the beginning of, of my doing comedy. Uh, Albert Brooks, uh, Kaufman, and and Lenny Bruce, which is a, a different sort of like genre, but um, but Brooks was. Yeah, I think influenced, particularly in my generation of comedians, like, you know, right uh, like, like Janine and, you know, uh, um, um, uh, Garofalo and, you know. Uh, was Bill Hicks, I would put in there. I mean, bit. I don't know if Bill Hicks really, no, he was more of like a straight sort of stand-up. He was more, I would say Lenny Bruce was more of an influence on Bill Hicks than Albert Brooks. I mean, it's more like conceptual stuff. Like, you know, um, like, uh, I mean, I think like uh, probably David Cross would say that um, some of his comedy was influenced yeah, yeah. by that. There were others, but um, I mean, I, 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 you know, I think a lot of Ben Stiller's work obviously was like influenced by, um, by Albert Brooks. Um, it, but for Eventually, me, it was like more like my film bit, right? stuff. Like you can even see it. If you go to my, um, 
uh, YouTube page, there is a intro video that is like also maybe 10 years old. We've got to update that. But, you know, the, the, the channel one. But I'm doing basically my version of an Albert Brooks thing where I'm like, you know, rubbing a, a statue and like, oh, oh, hi. I yeah. didn't see oh, you. Hi, yet. I didn't then see you there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was good. completely <laughs> Albert Brooks. Um, I actually I actually had to watch that video way too many times because uh, when we were doing the, the one for Michael, we were trying to figure out uh, like how to do like a, an end show from for TMBS. And so, like, he was like, well, watch the one that Sam did on the page. And, like, I don't want to do something, like, funny like that. But I want to do, like, uh, you know, like, something that says the end of the video. So we I don't to, even like, remember what I did outside of that <laughs> opening thing. Like, that was the only thing that I was terribly interested in. Just the sort of, you know, pretending I'm, uh, you know. But I, I, I can't tell you how many, um, how many of, like, the videos. I did a video for this MTV show. I, like, I wanted to do what Albert Brooks had done on SNL. That was like, I would have been happy to do that as my career at one point. And I got, um, uh, you know, the Sklar brothers, they're comedians out in LA. And they, at one point, got a show from MTV. And MTV felt like they uh, they wanted me to, to do the, the like a video, like, like, like uh, an Albert Brooks on the first episode of the, I think it was like Apartment 2F or something. And... It was my version of an Albert Brooks uh, like thing. I think it was, I basically was using it to, um, I was editing Who's the Caboose, which is a, a feature I did. And it, um, I used the budget from the MTV show to pay the people I needed to pay on my movie. So like I hired the editor for the movie and the whole premise of the video was like MTV gave me $20,000 to do a funny video. And, you know, um, funny is a subjective term. For instance, I think it's funny that I would pay my editor and, and I literally paid him on screen so I could pay him an acting fee in the, at his apartment where we were editing. So I paid him a location fee. And I just said, like, I think it's funny that I'm paying my editor of yeah. a movie I'm doing uh, with the budget here. And then I did the same thing with, uh, you know, paying my uh, DP and um, paying Benjamin who owed me money, John Benjamin, who was my roommate who owed me money so he could give me the money back. It was all just um, uh, basically embezzling the budget. And right. as, as a goof, as a showing bit. it on camera <laughs> yeah. to both legally protect myself. And, and uh, But it was all, I feel like, all Albert Brooks, basically. I, and I feel like there are elements of that with Shandling, too, with the It's Gary Shandling show, as well yeah. as Larry Sanders show, which were both deconstructions of their respective genres and probably, you know, 20 IQ points too high totally. for the general populace. And they, yeah, I mean, they were, I think, uh, they were peers and friends. And I think that, yeah, without a doubt. But the thing, so watching real life, and I know I'm not the only person that thought this because I'm the one that pulls the letterbox one-liners, uh, it's hard not to think of Nathan Fielder uh, now, where it's like, oh, so you saw Albert Brooks real life, huh? And that's kind of, you're like, oh, that's going to be my whole thing now. Okay. And then I, I like that show. I'm watching The Curse now, a friend of the show, Katie Byron's a production designer on it. Um, it's great. Uh, it's really awesome. But yeah, it's it's like, oh, anyone that 
you know, ain't nothing new under the sun, right? He does his own thing with it, but it's like, oh no, you're doing a modern version of that. Okay. Oh, totally. Well, and it's very easy to do that. Uh, I think in like the age of the internet, right? Because you can kind of go to somewhere and interact with like real people a lot easier. I think with these, like, uh, you know, like you get a crew right. and, and get up and running and like do your own thing before it even gets picked up by anybody at this point. Um, I think a lot easier. Like uh, another person that kind of does a character version of something that reminds me of uh, Nathan Fielder is like Joe Para, the guy that does like yeah. that old old guy character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like he he literally came a town over from where I live, like in Wallkill, and like just attended a pancake breakfast and judged the pancake breakfast as a pitch to get his own like uh, right. whatever MTV show. And it's like interacting with the real life people, and they're not really quite sure if you're like doing a bit or if you're you know the same way in the beginning of this movie. He's interacting like with the townspeople or whatever in uh, in Phoenix, and you can see that it's just kind of like this awkward scene. And obviously, he stages it, but it's like a real concept. But, he, right? but like, he's doing it in concept. Yeah. He's doing the character of Albert Brooks, which is kind of a prick, frankly. The character of Albert yeah. Brooks like sucks. Which is, I, I, as a sidebar, it's amazing that like he might have the best bad depiction of a of himself in a, in a movie from like anyone that has like a version of themselves in a movie that I've ever seen uh just for us to tag on to that point Sasha Baron Cohen right Ali G mm-hmm. like uh you know I I know it has some it hasn't aged super well but like Barat Bruno all that I mean that's like there, there's there's a lot mm-hmm. of uh sort of that transgressive that you can do it until you become so famous that everyone knows who you are and then it becomes more difficult uh, to do, but you're doing it but like- somehow, somehow, Sasha Barry Cohen was able to just make up new characters that still look like him and he was able <laughs> to get another, another right. fucking two seasons out of that yeah. concept. He was just like, oh, I'll be like an Israeli guy now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, the Mossad uh, character that he they put together for that short-lived yeah. show that like wasn't, was more like kind of like got him rather than funny. Uh, you know, what, like, the yeah. what is America thing? Or? Yeah, what is yeah. America? Yeah, we got. Our, yeah, they they actually the first episode they filmed the family like that like within my town in Aiken. I was like, oh, and my mom's like, yeah, we used to play for that lady. And I'm like, great, Sasha Baron Cohen. Uh, there was a Republican funny. state rep that like lost his job because yeah. of that show. Because he was so. doing that weird. Yeah, I remember. But but he just kept egging him on to do more and more like just ridiculously did, uh, racist stuff. Basically, he did somehow manage to uh, get Giuliani with the Borat character in. Oh in God. Funny. <laughs> Yeah, and that's right. Like, I about my that. understanding but, like, is Giuliani's that was the last they, guy who doesn't they, know who Borat is. Like they cut, they they like it. It it was worse, I think, than even they showed. That's mm-hmm. amazing. Is my understanding. I mean, is anybody but, a surprise? But no. but but I think that like it's 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 interesting to see a through line for like I feel like this. this oh movie... well, it goes. There's more even like you know. First of all, if you look at um uh, you know uh, Harry Shearer goes on to uh, co-write um. Uh, Spinal Tap, yep. and then the whole thing of like uh, you know the the whole series genre of of those sort of mock docs, as it were that, that you know that Chris Guest does, and then but there was also a lot of shows in like the early nineties, uh, mid nineties. Um, there was something called um, well, there was a movie called Man Bites Dog, which was a European film. Yes, that um, was very like like clearly. <laughs> that person had seen um, real life because there's a whole thing where like you have, you know, people are following reality and then they two camera crews <laughs> bump into each other and that type of thing. Um, but Andy also- and I actually watched that show on the show that I announced for the left reckoning. This is revolution thing. We, we watched that movie like oh, uh, the, the night before that. So that's, that's really a, that was that. a great film. And well, with my another, kid in the room, <laughs> there was another <laughs> show. There was another show called, um, I want to say, 
like married couples or something. It was by this guy Finkelman, I think his name was from uh, Canada. He he was very he borrowed very heavily. I think he did multiple another show called The Newsroom. I think it was called in Canada, and and a lot of it came from. You can see he was very heavily influenced by by Albert Brooks. Um, so so it's weird to me that this is not thought of in the in the same echelon as like. I think it was ahead of its time. It's too, it's yeah. almost too early. It was, I think it was ahead of its time. And it's also like very like sort of, it, it's, it is very comedy heavy. I mean, I have to say like I rewatched it and I'm surprised at how well it holds up because the, the comedies that I liked 10, 15, 20 years ago, I don't think hold up in the same way uh, that, uh, you know, mm -hmm. the last time I was on for three days of the Condor and I feel like that movie is just as good today as it yeah, was still funny. the day it was made. Mm -hmm. hey, it's still funny. And, <laughs> but, but this really does hold up. Um, it does. And, it like in a weird way that like, again, I'm watching the curse. Now the second episode came out and it was like, did they see this this movie before making oh, this? I can't because... <laughs> imagine Nathan didn't hasn't seen now. Yeah, he had to have because because it's so other than like the technology and like the clothes, like it's it's yeah, <laughs> it's I kind mean, of remarkable. It, yeah, and then if you, see, you remember, like I don't know if you've seen all the uh, the SNL shorts. I mean, I I had a I have a buddy who used to work at Broadway Video back in the day, <laughs> and so he got me like a compilation of all of them. And so I would just watch them over and over again. And they're amazing. I mean, the, the I think they they showed this in that Albert Brooks documentary, but my favorite is the one where he, which he uses the same premise for real life that he used for that, which is I'm a comedian, but it was always my dream to be a doctor. Well, I've made that doctor, that dream come true. And he goes in and he performs yeah. surgery, but he, he, he deconstruct he he again uses the surgery as a metaphor for Hollywood, and so he has the same uh, like relationship with the surgeon who's in there as like a director does with a DP who's far more experienced. Where the DP is like, "You're not shooting this right," yeah, and the director's like, "I know what I'm doing," and then yeah. it has to come to the DP and go like. Can you show me how not to cross the line and that type of thing? <laughs> right, Except for right. in this instance, it's surgery. Albert Brooks is committed, you know, doing like you know triple bypass or whatever. And one so, of one of the one of the things in the um, documentary that I find really fascinating is that he's the guy that ended up accidentally coming up with the idea for SNL because Lauren Michael. I'm so to, glad you brought that up for yeah. us because because I kind of knew Wait, that I, and I, somehow I forgot tell, about it. Let me let me tell the let me tell the audience so. The Lauren Michaels had an idea that he wanted to do the Albert Brooks show, which wouldn't have lasted as long as SNL has or as long as anything really has. Right. Well, it couldn't have. One person. Yeah. yeah no as way. a host. And you just have to cycle through it. Um, like so they, they wanted to do the, the Albert Brooks show. He said, well, why don't you just have uh, a new host every week? Like, I don't want to do it every week, but I can do it sometimes. Like, why don't you just have a host like a new host? So he basically came up with the idea that would become. Um, guest both, host thing. Yeah, yeah both that and by shooting those first five uh short documentaries he did he was the first one to do like the the filmed uh pre-filmed features that they have a lot on snl so he came up with both those ideas not a, not like as something that he had pre-planned or anything just as like a you know as like a thing that he came up with which point. of course became the model for that show uh, you know including if you look at like the spit take class that's like happening at the comedy school right it's amazing it's and it's and it's like at the 
don't reenact it, Andy, please. <laughs> <laughs> and but it's but it's how how amazing for him to be like, yeah, that's cool, but why don't why don't we do this other thing instead, which has never been done, and like have it be like defining like what we think of as like sketch comedy. Yeah, well, when you, when you think about, you know, when you think about all those shows, right? Like, there's always a host and a guest, and um, mm -hmm. like you know, people move in and out. There's like all these you know sketch comedians and stuff. But even something like Carol Burnett, right? Like, she's still the host. She's still the anchor of the entire thing, holding mm -hmm. it together. It's not like the ensemble cast is the ensemble cast, and then every week there's a new host. Like, it, it's an idea that's it's almost deconstructive in itself. Uh, yeah. because you know it's taking well they away. were originally yeah. the the support cast was called not ready for primetime players right and yeah. so the you know there was a right. sort of um i mean it was also that that was sort of like a you know a, a punk thing right like you build in the critique and um you know that's like the the you know the I and mean, that was what the the sex pistols were all about too it was like the idea is that we're, we're gonna make it the fact that we can't play is actually like part of our selling point. I um, think that's uh, an, an Uncle Alligator pitch, though. You know, uh, you take you take the uh, the not ready for prime time players. Listen, kid. <laughs> all you gotta know is these guys they can't play at all. They're not ready for prime time. That's what the pitch is about. <laughs> that's Uncle Alligator. He, he jumps in once in a while. Yeah, I just, I, I, I just gathered. <laughs> That's part of the show. <laughs> it, it wasn't. It wasn't when we did three days of the Condor, but somehow it's because we no, no, I didn't see that. I don't remember that. <laughs> it will happen like this. Uncle Alligator's just ready. A to man will come up and he will smile. Listen, he will invite you into the car. It's a it's a morality play about not taking too long in your lunch break. <laughs> It's a morality play about how you need secure. You need a uh, armed security at the door if you're gonna have like a, an office building. You know, mm, like uh, exactly. every every time there's like a, a mass shooting somewhere, they're like, "Listen, you need to have more guys with guns like watching the building," and that's the that's the moral of three days of the condor. Exactly. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So getting back to <laughs> fantastic, but get, getting back to the idea of yeah, I mean inadvertently making SNL, right? And I know we all think of SNL as the modern thing of SNL, but would you, you got to think about the fact that nothing like that existed before. No, right? it was, a, and, and it was really, I mean, you know, I, I was, um, I think, uh, nine or 10 when it started. And even at that age, like, I don't, I wasn't allowed to stay up that late to see it, I don't think, but I definitely watched all those episodes very shortly after. I'm not exactly sure how, Maybe they started to repeat them when I was 10 or 11, but I was close. Right. And, but I still felt the impact. In fact, I, before I was aware of uh, real life, um, the, the Saturday Night Live had a sketch called The Loud Family, which was their yeah. iteration of parroting that uh pbs show and but they were just you know they were just loud their name was the loud family and they were literally just loud. <laughs> yeah it's, it wasn't quite as sort of uh sophisticated as as uh Albert it's Hercules. in the name exactly but um and that family though seems so right for parody because they found a family that just happened to be on the precipice of divorce 
Like that's like the. Well, I think they probably the, found a bunch of families and they chose yeah. the one. Right. That yeah. they, I mean, I think that was the point that Albert Brooks was making is like, this is incredibly exploitive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. I think, right. you know, he grew up in show business, right? Like all his friends yeah. were showbiz people. Their parents were showbiz people. They grew up in LA and, and his like, dad so had the, his dad, but you know, his best friend is, is, is Rob Reiner. And, um, you know, he, so he's like hyper conscious of, he's already like the veneer is not there for him. He grows up on the other side of the veneer. And so all these things, I think it gave him an opportunity to sort of like see in a different, from a different perspective. And that's why like deconstructing all this shit, like even in that documentary, they told about that joke that he did that Carl Reiner said was the funniest thing ever. It was a, just a complete mockery, a deconstruction of like an escape artist. Yeah. And because yeah, he goes behind the curtain and he's like, Help, help, I can't get out of here. And he's flailing around. Exactly. And he's yeah. not even tied up. And everybody knows that. And the whole thing is that, like, I'm laughing just thinking about it. Yeah. He's steeped <laughs> in a um, an environment where your neighbor could be a famous escape artist and your neighbor could be like a really polished comedian. And so, there's really like if you want to stand out in that context, you go the other direction where you completely sort of like um, uh, you, you, you undercut and sort of sabotage the, those things. And uh, I think that was like a big sort of um, a, a part of what he was doing. And, and, and when you think about actually like even uh, Bob Einstein, his brother as Super Dave, that's what he did. Yeah. Right. Like he deconstructed on some level, like this is when Evil Knievel was really popular and the Mm -hmm. whole genre of like people doing risky things. He would do that, but provide what people wanted, which was to see the guy fail just completely time. eat it yeah and, and then i think you know obviously modern audiences know him more for uh, kirby enthusiasm which is a great character as well but a very different kind of character yeah, yeah. i gotta be I, honest i don't think i even saw any of that but uh, i i uh, first it's saw good. him on the uh the saturday morning cartoon the super dave saturday morning cartoon and that's how i oh, first which, which is there anything more devo than that you know like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing um but but yeah I, I think what works about this well number one his comedy but also what works about this film that makes it hold up is that he put he, he places himself as the joke, right? Like he the family, exactly, the family yes. isn't isn't inevitably the ones that look like assholes. The family, I mean, they're dysfunctional, and like the Charles Grodin character is is unlikable and kind of uh, you know wishy washy. But in the end, their their lives are ruined by Albert Brooks, right? It's Albert Brooks right. the freak. It's, That's it's that. It. Yeah, I, I would say like to the extent that like um, uh, one of the biggest things I stole from well, I, or emulate, I tried to emulate, you know, and I uh, really. You know, I did one film and I did a sequel to that. Uh, I did another film, but but in, in that genre of like a mock documentary, uh, although I called it a faux verite, uh, was um, I wanted my lead characters to be on paper extremely unlikable. And so like the, you know, one of those characters was Sarah Silverman and she has the ability to play like on paper a really unlikable person yeah. on paper, but still be liked. And, and that's what Albert Brooks was able to do. Like 
completely reprehensible. And you can see that's also, you know, like Kirby enthusiasm. That's what Kirby enthusiasm is. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and they, and I, I like that they point and, out and, that. Um, and, and the office for that matter. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Both of them. Well, the, the film within a film in this, I like that they point out that the, uh, the lead character is coming off unsympathetic in that first scene right where he's kind of gesturing around with his family and he's like yeah. we don't usually talk like this like because the cameras are obviously watching him and he's like you could tell he's having like a panic attack the entire movie right like he's mm -hmm. panicking thinking about like how are they going to see me like i need my business to thrive all this stuff so um that character um is the one that's coming off as un unsympathetic because albert brooks is behind the scenes but like that also makes you start thinking about who who the joke is actually on throughout right. this movie and it's like increasingly you realize like right. the real the real character that's unlikable and the real character that's judging what is and isn't likable that these other characters are doing is genuinely the most unlikable person, uh, you know, and, that you can really be without. And that was Groden's yeah. actually like Charles Groden. That was also his like he played that character many times. Oh, he's over. great I at mean, it. Yeah. I actually like uh, am I think probably embarrassed to say that I read Charles Groden's autobiography. I mean, in part because he was he did that movie. Uh, with Albert Brooks, it was called something like it would be so nice if you weren't here or something like that. And I came to really not like Charles Groden as a person, mm -hmm. <laughs> but, from his autobiography, but, but it works for him. But, but it works in there. Like heartbreak kid too. Yeah. He's such a scum bucket in there. And in, um, <laughs> he's wonderful at it. It's the one that he did with, um, he's very De Niro. as well. Like he's he did very, a movie like, with De Niro. That's actually uh, midnight run. Mid uh, midnight run. A little movie called Midnight Run, Sam. Uh, is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Uh, uh, but, but speaking of De Niro, I wanted to uh, bring this into it. Well, one point I want to tag onto that, uh, difference between that and like a Sasha Baron Cohen type, he's maybe an exaggerated character, but he lets the subject kind of show their their monster face like by just yeah. like leading them on, which is very different than making yourself mm -hmm. into the monster and like basically making an exaggerated parody of yourself so you can have like a little bit of distance between like hey this is monstrous to do and i am the monster doing it which is which is kind of harder to pull off and still have people like you at the end of it yeah so and that's I, like larry david is a good example for that i wanted to uh i wanted to bring this into it this is uh he's talking about how he was writing real life on the set of taxi driver speaking of uh you know robert robert de niro and so i i, th I found this to be an interesting clip already starting to develop the films that you wanted to make yourself where you you know did you see acting as a kind of springboard to doing real life or were you really just thinking about acting at this no point? i was thinking about acting and uh i had just uh, uh signed i, I uh, was asked if i wanted to host saturday night live and i didn't but they wanted me involved because they hadn't gotten anyone to sign on to the show so i had that good experience with the great american dream machine i said i would make short films but i wanted to stay in los angeles and they kept saying well but we want to do this live from new york and we want to do it at 11 30 and you know i i said to lauren michaels i'm from los angeles this whole live thing means nothing to me i never see anything live <laughs> if you want to stay up till 11 30 you stay up till 11 30 but every show i get is taped earlier from an earlier broadcast you know so i stayed in la and made the movies and that came around this time and i kept asking marty scorsese like during a lunch break do you think this movie's gonna be a big deal for me i don't know i don't know <laughs> 
I was like, Marty Scorsese was at the, he's probably in better health now than he's ever been. But at that time, he lived in an inhaler. I mean, he just, you know, and, and, and he would see me and start to laugh. And I became like some sort of horror movie character because I never had said anything. Hey, Marty. I didn't say anything. I couldn't talk to him. Marty, what when's breakfast? <laughs> well, was it a big deal? Did it? Did it? Uh, you know, did this lead to other things like, uh, uh, for example, Private Benjamin, which well, was a I mean, few it, years it, later? It, but it's it, what it, would it, no, nothing was a big deal. Nothing. Not, <laughs> Nothing happened. I don't think anything really happens like that. I mean, if you start expecting those things, not, I, it, it doesn't really happen like that. But I mean, it was a big deal. I mean, look, Taxi Driver has, in retrospect, become yeah. with the with the Jodie Foster and the you know, it's become this sort of American weird piece of film history. Yeah. When it came out, I don't even think it was like people. You know, no, it was. It, it was received well, yeah. but it wasn't the second coming, not until Reagan was shot. Yeah. Isn't that right? It was yeah. Hinckley, yeah. right? Yeah. Was, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I will say also that is a, an, a, that is the, the misconception that you could be like the fourth or fifth character in a movie and yeah. it can actually like do anything for your career in any sort of meaningful way. It can get you through the, you know, it can get you another fourth or fifth character thing, but like that, uh, the one of the funniest misconceptions is to like uh, where people think like doing that is going to explode your career. It's just going to keep you in the game. <laughs> it's basically, be working. Yeah. yeah, no, honestly, it's just like literally, like it's just uh, I didn't drown. I, I'm just I'm continuing to try to. I successfully yeah. treaded water through this. Even and... the even the best supporting uh, best supporting actor, right? When they have like those uh, awards, it's not the fourth or fifth. It's not. It, it's yeah. rare. It's I mean, unless it's something like Network, where it's the Ned Beatty scene, and he's like in it for you know two scenes, and, and, and just really steals it completely. Yeah. Yeah. Like unless it's that, like it, it's it's you're not even up for anything. Like there's not even like an award. They don't give you like the uh, you know the the. The B, like the B movie actor, uh, whatever, like award. You know what I mean? Like the. <laughs> I did this movie called uh, Next Stop Wonderland, and that was shot in Boston. And it was a, a small film, like in the mid '90s. I think I was back there actually editing <laughs> Caboose. And Hope Davis was the lead. Oh, Philip nice. Seymour Hoffman was in it. And, I mean, it was it was a, like a like a small indie film. And, but there was a lot of like Boston comedians in it. And at that point I had already like done some sitcoms and this and that. So coming back to Boston, it was, you know, like, you know, cause I was coming back to edit the, the movie and I had gone in to visit a casting director. And so I sort of waltzed into this part on some level because I had been doing, I had been on, you know, sitcom television. That's the sort of, I, I, you know, that's the way that it worked, but there were uh, comedians in Boston who I sort of knew who were like, who were in the movie for 90 seconds. And they had like a funny part, but they, you know, I, they would call or they would email me, I think at that point, and they'd be like, I don't know what's going on. 
I haven't heard from any agents or anything. And I'm like, dude, dude no. It's about to happen. No, no, no it really isn't. It's not, no. It's not, no. But there was that perception. But I think that was funny. That he can, can I say, speaking of small cameos, The Muse, not my favorite Albert Brooks movie. There was a great Scorsese cameo as himself mm-hmm. in that, mm-hmm. which, which is great. I don't even know if I saw The Muse. You like, honestly, it. for me, <laughs> the funny. three... The, the three features were uh, Modern Romance, uh, Lost in America, and Real Life. I mean, like, Defending Your Life was okay. I, I remember seeing that. And Mother was okay. But, like, in terms of, like, comedy, those three were for me. And, and his shorts. But they it's were not, so influential. Modern, modern Romance is... Modern Romance is one of like Matthew Film Guy's favorite movies, and it's really it's really funny because like you know he's like the film editor in in the movie, like the, that's his whole job. So there's the <laughs> scenes where he's like actually editing the film, and like so watch like I don't know like watching it for this episode because I was like I'll watch like Modern Romance like uh, watching for this episode. I was like Matthew Film Guy loves this because it's the film editor that's you know going through. He's he's like what what if it's like. It's like yeah. Uh, it's, his, it's his Black Panther. You know what I mean? Like, well, that's why I like the ambulance. It's, oh, it's, no. The thing about that movie is it's all just like Derosi. <laughs> and, you know, uh, Matthew was was trained in the Ray Carney School of, uh, of Filmmaking, um, who was, uh, you know, one of the foremost Cassavetes. Um, uh, experts in the country and so for Matthew Film Guy it's all just uh, someone's like emotional guts just being laid out on the uh, on, on the on the on the ground essentially but uh, I just got a, uh, a text to remind me to tell this story which I teased on the majority report today yep I heard it, it's 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 tangentially I mean it really is just me Doing a humble brag, but um, <laughs> it happens all or, the time on this show. Or, Go ahead. Or uh, a a diluted uh, criticism of myself, maybe. But um, I like in, you're deconstructing the bit before you tell it. Yeah, right? exactly. Really good. <laughs> so in so I did this movie, Who's the Caboose, which is a mock documentary, mm-hmm. which uh, was like in my mind at that time was real life combined with Sherman's March, which was a documentary by this uh, Harvard professor, uh, Sean McKelvey. And um, it was really a combination of those two things in my mind. And um, so I did this movie. I shot it on video, which was, I think we were literally the first digi, digital video film to film back the video that was not a documentary. Like we did it at the same place that Hoop Dreams was done. And everybody, all of my representation was like, why are you shooting this on video? Because I was like, I'm paying for it. Like I can't can't afford to do it any other way. And I did the movie and uh, somehow David Hershey, who was a writer, was doing, it was guest uh, editing uh, the New Yorker's next edition. And they used to do like the next blank or the next this. And they want, they, uh, David Hershey, you know, called me and was like, we want to have, we're, we're going to have you be the next Albert Brooks. And I'm like, Oh fuck. Like, <laughs> I, I'm sick. 
for life. Like this is my <laughs> and they assigned uh, John Lahr, who was, and I think he still is. I don't even know if he's dead. Um, a, he's still a, alive. A, I looked it up. Okay. He's a big um, <laughs> theater critic, and he was a huge fan of Bill Hicks. And um, this was right around the time that, like, The New Yorker was bought by Condé Nast or something. I can't remember. This was, like, 97 or 98. I can't really remember. Mm, that was five. And I remember going to the office and I was late and um, I, I was late. And so I, 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 when I came into his office to, to meet John Law, I made some joke about it being, um, God, I can't remember what the name of the magazine, but it was a woman's magazine, like fashion magazine. Cause I was trying to fuck with them just cause I thought it would be funny to say like, Oh, I thought this was with um, Barbarella or whatever. I can't remember what the, the name of the magazine was at the time. Mm. And he stone-faced, did not like it. And he was coming with me to go to an audition. And we went to audition and the casting director treated me like in a way that I had never been treated before. And I didn't realize that John Lahr was like a well-known critic. And it was because of John Lahr. And we're walking out of the audition and I realized like, oh, that was weird. And we're walking back on somewhere like 43rd and 8th or something. And he's British. And he says to me, he's like, uh, and at this point, like, you have to understand, like, I was so mad that I had been cast in anything. And I was just mad. like, I, the idea, like, we're going to fucking get headshots. You're all fuckers. <laughs> you know, I was, I was <laughs> stupidly. Um, and he says, he goes, how does it feel to be hot? And <laughs> that moment was probably the defining moment for my career in retrospect, because I could have answered in a way that wasn't the way I answered. But I was like, I said, literally, I'm like, are you sure you're not from fucking people magazine? And that was it. <laughs> oh, no. And he he came and uh, watched uh, me do what he thought was supposed to be stand up, but it was when the alternative scene was just starting at uh, Luna Lounge down in, um, it was either Rebar or Luna Lounge at that point. And I did this bit that was like some combination of the man who would be king and like the Heidegger principle, like trying to write yeah. in like about how his wow. being at the, the audition changed the dynamic, of the audition right, right, right. and how everybody in the audience thought I was some type of God. But in fact, I just wear like a really wide leather belt that if you've seen the man who would be king, that's what the premise yeah. of that is. And, uh, and I'm thinking like, I don't give a fuck about this guy. Like, doesn't matter what he writes about me. I'm going to be the next Albert Brooks. I don't care what he fucking says. And I get a call from my agent like, yeah, so uh, David Hershey says that John Lahr, um sent in that you're the worst stand-up that has ever existed. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. And I'm going to cast some hands. And I'm like, wow. okay, I don't give a shit. Uh, let him run that. And they're like, oh, yeah, no. He's not going to run it. Yeah. And Hershey tried to call Tina Brown to get them to put a different reporter on. 
not John Marr, but John Marr was too big. And so they had no next in that issue of like comedian. And that would have like, that was just that, you know, my career would have been dramatically different as a director had that the New Yorker magazine mm-hmm. written that I was going to be the next Albert Brooks. But uh, I mean, it was all basically my fault. But uh, <laughs> yeah, you would have been top row on movie next extravaganza instead of Bob. I, exactly. Like you <laughs> yeah, guys. <it's> <laughs> no, no repeat, no return to the show. One time only. Right. That's it. That's it. It's enough. It's enough, really. Yeah, exactly. I wouldn't have have to come on twice to juice my career in this way. (laughs) To get that movie night extravaganza bump, right? Exactly. Each time Sam comes on with uh, one less button, he's like, please. Exactly. My show is is, is struggling. I need the... (laughs) Show a little more skin, apparently. But, um, But it was like, so that Albert Brooks sort of like, I mean, it, it, I mean, it was basically enough for me to say like, at least one person at the New Yorker thought it was legit. I've tried to track down that piece. Like I've met people at the New Yorker and I'm like, is there any way you can get into the archives and see uh, if you can find that fucking piece? Cause I yeah. never saw it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, so that was my closest the piece is just, with Albert. It's not funny. It is not. <laughs> That's exactly his accent. His dad was the his dad was the lion in Wizard of Oz. His wow. dad was Bert oh, Bert. really? Wow. Yeah. Which we're we're actually covering as the first movie of uh, 2024. That's yes, because our guest well, has never seen it before. Because our our, our what friend, friend, I know friend of the show KT who uh, even purchased for me my green paint ready. I'm gonna have never seen Wizard of Oz. She's obviously she's aware of it. it. And she's an actress, too. I think she's amazing. in the chat. I think she was. She, she is. I was trying to find yeah, yeah. one of her comments, but there's, there's yeah. too many. Can I get my green face pink? Where ready? did she yeah. grow up? Like, in the woods? Well, to be or fair, not? maybe she grew up in Oz. We, well, so in Oz, they don't watch they don't watch the Wizard of Oz. They 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 watch real life and they're like, Right, exactly. Right. Is that, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that's fantasy for them. But no, like that was my thing for like well why don't we do that because i would love to you know again someone that is very informed cinephile she's on the show quite a bit it's like mm-hmm. i would love to hear what your first time reaction as an adult to this mm-hmm. piece of like cultural ephemera that has been around for like multi-generations that's going to be an interesting show i gotta imagine it holds up even I, as I an adult to, I mean, it, it really does but all the movie but the thing is, like, about I've watched it every now, week for the last not like the prison, no. no. <laughs> it's a different show entirely. The interesting thing about Wizard of Oz now is that everything is like ultra 4K, and now you can actually see where they have like the makeup on, the wigs on, and, and like the it's like there's certain things about the Wizard of Oz now, but when it's all like an HD 4K, it's like oh, you know this this was done in like 1939, so obviously things were obviously you know very different back then. So it's like yeah, watch this, it now. This proves my theory that not everything needs to be in ultra high. I like yeah. ultra high. Exactly. It shouldn't be. It absolutely fact, shouldn't no. be. Yeah. yeah. Those, I, those I mean, ruby slippers are ruby enough. You, you, I you think I want to see Andy's blocked pores? I don't. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the other thing too is like, like sometimes that that uh, the the uh, the aesthetics of the film itself, <laughs> this film stock, actually I think improves the picture. Like like um, uh, a lot of films are filmed in uh, like you know digital now, and everything's like so crisp and clear, yeah. and like yeah. it looks like shit. Um, yeah. 
you know, there, there's no depth to it because it's all flattened out in this this crystal clear image. Hundred percent. Yeah. And particularly with the with the televisions you watch. And almost like a soap opera, <laughs> which is yeah. I don't mean as a compliment, to be like, clear. Matthew Film Guy knows this, but like um in the the video that I did, I would in in Hoots Caboose we oversaturated it because everything I watched as a kid was like on UHF. All the movies I watched were five by four on UHF. And right. and you know, like uh, the spaghetti westerns that yeah. that like almost it's almost impressionistic. Yeah. That's the look I like. That's why we also shoot the majority report in um, like, I don't know, uh, uh, 410 or something like that. I'm not exactly sure, but it's we don't we don't do high def in that way. Like, I don't have to wear makeup. Most people don't realize this. It's actually in Super 8. People exactly. <laughs> they, they have to develop everyone. That, and then they put it on the computer. And that's what happens. Impressive. I've, I've, we shoot it with a, um, a Pixel 2000. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. I've... Uh... Wow. I remember. Majority, yeah. I've been in the majority report office. I don't know if you want to shoot that that in uh, in high def. It's uh No, you know, we don't. <laughs> behind well, behind the behind the set is like a little like uh live in space almost with the with the sink and everything. Well Oh yeah. I, I have an offer to make because next time my mother and I are ever in New Jersey, my mom and I are willing to clean the office for you guys. <laughs> Oh boy! Look at that I free labor. You know how dirty it is, <laughs> Sam. Um, it, let's put it this way: we've been in that office for uh, now nine years, and it has not been cleaned. We've done we we've cleaned worse. I'm talking three story abandoned mansions with like dead raccoons, basement flooding, roaches, spiders. It's it's all good. We have. I remember. I remember when I went in there. The, the first thing, like the one time I was there, the first thing I sought out was the Jeb Cup. And I was like, it's the Jeb Cup. It's here. <laughs> I feel like this is cleanliness one-upmanship right now, and I don't know what yeah, to think exactly. about it. Yeah. I, can I tell you, Sam, that story? I, I think uh, um, th the only thing that I have to add to that is that I'm sure Uncle Alligator was said, uh, where the hell is Paul Newman? Where's Redford? Where's Nicholson? <laughs> Believe me, they prefer Nicholson with the cup than the cup of the other guy. <laughs> with the Jeb Cup. <laughs> That that Martin Brand character absolutely is Uncle Alligator. To, yeah. to be clear, to reference well, it, my own character, a, it's such a perfect uh, <laughs> it's such a perfect confluence of um, uh, different like incentives, right? Like the creative yeah. incentive where it's like, well, I don't really care if I steamroll this family's life because this is drama. You know what I mean? Like it, it's dramatic. It's this, it's that. The you know the money part of it, which is you know a movie like this is absolutely not going to make money. Like people are not going to. You know, go like uh, if if you're making the real version of it, I mean, yeah, not in 1979, like, yeah, 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 and um, and then the uh, then the psychological aspect, which they're literally like trying to do like a serious scientific study, which was never going to work with this, and definitely didn't work with the uh, the American family uh, family either. You know what I mean? Like cause that family was pretty abnormal and dysfunctional so it's like just in in this movie with three directions with the awkwardness of the scientist guys like you know he because he's doing like a big show i mean there's a musical number right this is the, as a big show and then they're just like so like what is happening right now why what why are we here like it's it's so like again it, it's it's the trade that curb your enthusiasm works on you yeah. know where, where where it's like there's just like oh my god stop like just and then nope, we're gonna keep going, <laughs> and it's and it's a very notable thing for sure. Let, let me just say one thing too about that. Uh, Apparently, that I've been promoted. I don't know what happened, but <laughs> the uh, the character on the uh, I was squares. The character on the speakerphone. What was really 
smart of Albert Brooks, like in terms of like his servicing the plot of something that was so insane, is that that guy was not the guy who greenlit the project. Right. That guy was the guy who replaced the guy who greenlit the project. <laughs> yeah. So you did have an era. <laughs> right. You did have an era in Hollywood. And 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 it and it happened around that time, right? Like yeah. I mean, where you had an era in Hollywood where there was a lot of green lighting of like these sort of avant-garde, you know, that's where like Scorsese and that whole crew got there. That's how you got all these movies uh, that were, were greenlit at that time because it was a very weird era for the studios. And by the time you get into the late 70s, the, the, the old guard had sort of reasserted itself on some level. You know, well, they, that, found like, their, they found their footing, right? Like uh, Star Wars had come out. Um, right, like, right, like, right. And know, so they had returned cars, back. Like, so it had gone from like yeah. Raging Bull, yeah. uh, whatever those, uh, you know, uh, th that book was. I can't remember now. But um, the that, uh, the Bogosian, uh, uh, Peter Bogdanovich, uh, sorry, yeah. uh, period. And was now like sort of reasserting itself in the post sort of like Jaws era. And so... Albert Brooks like was that meticulous in his plotting that he couldn't justify a guy like that on the speakerphone who would have greenlit that project. It had yeah, to be right. the guy who greenlit the project got fired. Right. And then this guy comes in. I think it's Easy Riders and Raging Bulls, I think is the name of the book. Exactly. You're thinking of Sam. Yeah. 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 That and the, that would get that would get much worse um in uh in the eighties when you know it's like the the cocaine decade where every every fucking studio is con it's just reshuffling these guys out like a revolving totally. door pretty much uh, yeah. like mm -hmm. with with uh with like corporate consolidation you know taking hold again which it's just kind of like you have this like uh the slight opening in the artistic medium of hollywood from like the late 60s to the 70s where the haze code had collapsed like the studio system collapsed and then it you know it kind of you get the action movie cycle of the fucking 80s where uh you know, like it's not good for studio executives either necessarily because they're revolving or they're revolving door all of them out of there. I mean, but then you can just pop back up in a different studio. So I guess that's how it's still yeah. is now. Yes, absolutely. And then I, you know, again, the uh, the Martin Brand character, you know, the the studio exec, like the whole the whole thing about. Uh, what do you get? The news. Oh, that's all. Let me shift to Uncle Alligator. The news. The goddamn news. People get that for free. <laughs> you think someone's going to hire a babysitter, take a taxi cab, go all the way the hell downtown, walk to the box office, shell out four bucks and say, here, here's my four dollars. What time does the news go on? <laughs> Great. Right. Um, what, do you, what do you guys, what <laughs> do you guys think indicative of, uh, of the time. I, I love that. I love his um, Albert Brooks in general, like his career, his like tangential relationship to like the Simpsons. So in this movie, he's yeah. writing his first movie with Harry Shearer, and you know Harry Shearer is on the set cool. the entire time. And at one point, they're in and the James car. Brooks. And you can hear, I, you, yeah, <laughs> yes. But yeah. At one point, you can hear on the radio he's doing yes, the, the, the Navajo uh, kids. He says he, on the radio. Yeah, yeah, he's doing he's doing the um the uh Reverend Lovejoy voice too, and he's like, yeah. and yeah. we have another person coming in. It's like yeah. he already had that voice up yeah, his yeah. sleeve when he got hired by the Simpsons, like. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's again. This is the the prescient nature of this film. Like, it's all over the place, right? Like, yeah. it's, it's in, in in lots of different ways and lots of situations. I, I, again, it's it, it's interesting, Sam, hearing you talk about Groden because I I I kind of have recently re revisited my thoughts on Charles Groden and come back and been like, you know what? I think he actually generally was a force for good. And when he was, you know, 
being a putz, like it was mm. in the service of the of the script or uh, you know the the vibes. But like I I had a problem for a long time. I was like, I hate that guy. And then I don't. Yeah. And then I was like, then I was like, why did I hate this guy? Because if you watch only the good stuff, you're like, oh yeah, he's a great yeah. Like, there like Heartbreak Kid. He he's in Heartbreak Kid. He's yeah. such an all-timer scuzz bucket. This is the second time I brought this movie, but I'm just going to keep bringing it up until people actually watch it that's not Matthew no, Film Guy. He, <laughs> or until we do an episode. He which is we an should, interesting, yeah. I mean, he is a very interesting comedic character, but I think as a person, he was pretty odious. It's the, and, 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 that, and That's probably what. And it's yeah. hard to sometimes with some of these people to divorce that. Like, you know, like I saw that documentary with Albert Brooks and, and, and I know people who, who, who are friendly with him and um, he seems like, you know, uh, replacement level narcissism for a, you know, someone in Hollywood. I mean, I think that's like, <laughs> it goes with the territory, but like as a, as a person in, 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 you know, largely he seems like a very nice guy. I think Roden was sort of not a, not a nice guy. I think people, sort of didn't like it um and but he's his car as a character in terms of the you know the character he played it was pretty good um if you're looking in that like sort of narrow comedic vein he was sort of like a um a, a like an like a but like a an abbot uh to costello in some way yeah yeah, you want to switch over to let him Yeah, who didn't like him was that horse, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, of course, uh, Letterboxd, Letterboxd, Sam, is a social media site for film lovers who talk about- I've, I've heard of it. Yes, have you yeah. heard of this? Yeah. Uh, you heard of this, Paul? Uh, and the uh, it, it is uh, something where everyone gets to have their say. It's a bottom-up democracy, right? You're not just Siskel's neighbors of the world. People get to chime in on the movies they love, maybe the movies that they didn't love. Are both of them dead? Uh, yeah. Yes, I believe so. Yes. So now they're not chiming on too many movies, I guess. Yeah. Well, they're, they're awful silent, except for their <laughs> large estates that are. Yeah, they're, they're trash talking movies in heaven now. Silence uh, is simplicity, <laughs> and they're awfully silent. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, all of this is breast expressed succinctly, uh, and uh, in, in a in a work on your tight five sort of environment. And uh, of course, we pull these for this show. These are this is the bit that we do on the show. This is the letterbox one-liners for real life for us. Let's roll them. The best thing Gone with the Wind ever did was it inspired this movie's resolution. <laughs> I love the I love the music. <laughs> they have the Gone with the Wind music, and he's like, "Let's get the music yeah. going." Like, it's good. Yeah, no, I agree. You're simply never going to beat an Albert Brooks movie where Charles Grodin <laughs> operates on a horse. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing that that scene where you see the pulley pulling up the hooves it's just so <laughs> unbelievable that's amazing i feel like in phoenix there's a lot of like gold water guys and that guy is definitely like a you know with like the cowboy hat and the fucking like the short uh like horseman nudie yeah, is the uh, actor by the way N nudie is the actor who played that part <clears throat> all right there you go we got to bring back comedians playing themselves with an edge of menace. I mean, curb your enthusiasm a little bit, but yeah, yeah, that's the closest you really get. I agree. I agree with that. Wow, this movie invented like everything, huh? Edit even horse surgery. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't. They didn't quite get it right the first time. They're like, oh my god, too much anesthetic. Dude, the, the crazy thing is like the, the crazy thing about that is that it's not even that he's operating on the horse. He never gets to operate on the horse. The horse dies from an overdose of anesthetic. Like 
that's that's the part that really is feels damning, right? Because you can like kind of play it <laughs> off and be like, oh, I killed that horse. Like the surgery just you know something slipped or whatever. But like the fact that it's just that he he's nervous and the that he fucks up is so much more damning to his uh, career. Also, though, as a as a movie technique, you don't have to get into the gore. Yeah, it's the best way to kill a horse in a movie if you're going to have to kill a horse. For I mean, that's what they say. That's that's the saying, right? People are talking about this more and more. I mean, it's it's funny you say that because the next movie we're doing is uh, Buffalo 66. And they have the scene where they imply that a dog, his dog got killed, Vincent Gallo's dog. And you just hear him go, no. And then like a slight bark. Like, I feel like that's the second place. Like, all right, like we get the point. Yeah, you don't have to show it. Pee hoarding science. <laughs> I love I love what he's like. What? You get your hands wet? You get your hands wet from all that pee? There's <laughs> a, a lot of pee discourse in that area of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Just in that one scene, though. Like, this it's is, enough. Yeah. Yeah, you don't need it anymore. Albert Brooks, could you perhaps come to my house wearing a clown costume and a bunny hand puppet? <laughs> Into the Brooks verse as a tag, by the way. Pretty good. Entertainment kids. That is also deconstructive, too. Like, Sure. deconstructing the uh you know like the the clown that is hired out to make people feel a certain type of way and like the the sad clown i guess trope charles groden kills a horse <laughs> i like how the person did not read it did not <laughs> so like that this this review is not yet rated yeah, there you go this should be how all reality tv shows end isn't oh. it though kind of yeah I don't know. We're going to end this. If we don't get a super chat, we're going to end up by setting Sam on fire. No, we are not doing that. Ready. (laughs) He's available. He's he's ready for the attack now. Available. (laughs) I have terrible cramps. I am bleeding profusely and I want to vomit on the table. That's real life, baby. Kind of how I feel right now, but whatever. It's fine. I'm sorry to hear that. Once a very drunk man told me I look like Charles Grodin. While I don't necessarily agree, I was moved by the compliment. <laughs> there you go. Those are Letterboxd one-liners. For real life, please follow the show at Movie Night Extra on Letterboxd, logging all the stories of these lovely episodes that we do, interacting, making lists, all that good stuff. F is for fake. Oh, my God, that's hard to do. Oh, at Always Flocko over there is on Letterboxd as well. That's real life. You forgot the baby on the end of that but uh <laughs> at Kona neutrons me uh you spend the winter in wisconsin you watch a lot of movies that's how that works out <laughs> uh you can you can uh i'm it's funny all- that came up in uh in real life it, 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 yes <laughs> yes and every and it was it was a hot topic on the group chat too uh if you uh want to follow me i'm following doing the highbrow the midbrow the populist fair all that stuff starting up a new criterion challenge for 2024 in uh, a couple weeks J. Andrew Urine Hoarder World is a horse search leader and he's watching all the weirdest no. stuff. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, listen, if you ever need uh, if you ever need urine, you know who to call. I'm just going to make a note of that. Or if you, lose if your you, horse. Need, if you need urine, or a guy to find your horse. I'm telling you, I got just the guy for you. I got just the fella. He's done it's all like- my. My urine pictures and my if, you're, if you're looking for if you're looking for clean urine in the New York in the New York uh, tri-state area, it's like that's the that's yeah. your pitch. Give me a call. <laughs> Watching all the weirdest stuff so you don't have to, or maybe so you can, is not for me to judge. I'm just calling the balls and the strikes. He's doing all of that at right about now too on Letterbox. 
Christina, Cosmopolitics, is this the real life? Yes, it is. When Christina deigns to tell us all about what she's watching on Letterboxd, at um, Christina. That's your old handle, by the way. Yes. Um, not sure if you're aware of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, Sam Cedar's way too busy and too cool to be on Letterboxd. But if he was, we would chat. Yeah, we're dorks. He has heard of it. He has heard of it. So no, that's good. I, I would love to be on Letterboxd. That's that's like my, my dream is to have the time. You, you'd have uh, a big following honestly to like uh to get on that like that's, matthew does pretty well you know, there's a saying. you'd have to yeah, have well matthew uh, like he doesn't have to do a daily show yeah no you have to have like a, a list where's of my movies, mike cernovich like, documentary movies uh <laughs> like movies my my kids made me watch or something that's your letterbox uh like no, that'd be wild that yeah <laughs> but uh, anyway oh my God. Damn, that's, that's you, actually a good you idea. have to since you have to, Saul uh, has me to... watching the Flash series, and oh. I will tell you that I've watched in the past month maybe twenty six episodes of the Flash, and and because I know that he should be asleep by now, I can say I'm good. <laughs> Not great, folks. Not I great. get it. I get where this is going, and I get where it's been. And BW man, if he's so it. fast, why can't he run into a better show? I, I get it. I get it. Like we've resolved he's this so whole fast, thing with his mom, and so we've long. come to grips with it. And yeah. I think like it's okay for some series to just be a season long. <laughs> but uh, but but Sam, since you have to go soon, and you know, uh, check up on everything. Do you have any final thoughts you wanted to bring to the to the table for this movie? I, I mean, if if folks have not watched like Albert Brooks's like first three or four movies, and I think you could probably find like these SNL things online. Like, it is rare in my mind for com- for comedy to to hold up, and I think his comedy does, and I think it's because of the. There's a neuroses there that, and also like a, like a savvy about where we were going in terms of media that is, um, that is, I think, m- makes it hold up more than most comedies. So check it out. For sure. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, we should have you on again to yep. either talk about another Albert Brooks movie or talk about, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, we're going to do the we'll, plugs next in at least 20 minutes. So I think that's and we'll why keep we're... in touch about cleaning the studio, by the way. She's going to get all I appreciate it. all of it. Yes. No, she's gonna, it was great. She's going to get all those dead possums out of there. It's going to be great. <laughs> God knows what kind of animal life we have in that you're like, studio. You're like, wow, that's why this last guest didn't get back to me. He's been dead under the desk. People wonder why we don't do in studio stuff. And it's basically because we're afraid of like uh, liability over rabies. I mean, so. you do your live streams mm-hmm. that you've been doing every once in a while. You should do more of those. Yeah. Just you no, we do it. some live streams, but, uh, you know, rabies is an issue. In our, I, 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 uh, if you need <laughs> any help with that, too, I'm, I've got the streaming thing knocked down. I, with the time. rabies? No, not with the rabies, but with the live <laughs> streaming, because sometimes it's, like, it's kind of like, like, I don't really with rabies, I come around with the 26 shots. So yeah, I was, was going to say, wow. Like, yeah. <laughs> what a multidisciplinarian. And on the stream, too. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate yep. it. It's a lot of fun. Thanks, Sam. Always yes. enjoy. Thank you. Good having you back. Thank you. All right. Bye. All right. So we're breaking the format. J. Andrew World, take it away with the plugs, please. Make it quick. Yeah, I, I was actually going to do a uh, bit where I was going to be a libertarian caller and uh, <laughs> debate Sam about the uh, age of consent, but uh, 
Now, now I'm really glad he already left. <laughs> <laughs> um, hit us with uh, those plugs, why don't you? Yeah, uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, please do those YouTube things. Like, comment, subscribe, hit the bell. And, of course, the big ask that we always ask you is to watch the video to the end. That actually lets other movie fans find us and lets you hear that really great Conan Neutron song. Um, so, you know, be like uh, Letterhack and, and love the love the song. Um, it gets me pumped. They love the song. <laughs> We love the songs, folks. Uh, and of course, uh, if you're over watching us on Twitch, do the Twitch things. Um, throw us a sub. If you happen to have an Amazon Prime account, you can subscribe for free. Doesn't cost you a penny, but actually does help out the channel. And we appreciate uh, you doing all that stuff. Um, you can find us on social media. We are on uh, uh, Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Blue Sky, as well as Threads now. Uh, can't forget the Threads. Almost did. I Always do. Yes. <laughs> Forgot about Poland and threads. <laughs> Wait, Poland? Yeah, it's very topical. That's okay. from like I think a George Bush debate from like 2004. <laughs> oh God! Hey, you can't yeah. forget about Poland. It's a coalition of the willing. Yeah, you forgot <laughs> Poland. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah, that's it's... a very topical joke right there. Sam would have loved it. Are you taking my humor? You're gonna do the fucking bit? Come okay. On. Yeah. Yeah. Just... <laughs> Uh, yeah, we have a Patreon. Uh, so if you want to get access to our after parties, which we have not discussed if we're doing an after party tonight. Um, but I mean, I'm probably, probably, we're doing three shows this week, so I don't really want to. Yeah, I'm going to be on a plane on 7 a.m. So I'm going to. Yeah, yeah. OK, we probably skip it. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> so not but, this but time. I, th I think next Tuesday we're, we're talking about possibly doing one. So, you know, yeah. uh, uh, you know, but, at least, at least then we'll we'll do it. Uh, My after party is blissful slumber. Yes, before um, going through TSA. But if you want to get access to <laughs> to these after parties, um, join our Patreon. You can go find some old ones. We have some. Uh, the one with Andy Kindler. Uh, you know, we he actually stuck around and we had a blast just hanging out talking with him for like another hour after the show. We're working he, on getting Sam to stick around, guys. Don't worry. Him and I had a dueling Dennis Millers. Like, oh, it yeah. was like doing banjos, but it was Dennis Miller's. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> that, was, that was a good bit. Yeah. It was awesome. So, so yeah, if you um, if you want more of that, if, if that sounds great to you, you know, subscribe and, and uh, go watch that. And, There's and other things course, as well uh, if that doesn't. So. <laughs> uh, since Sam isn't here, and, and for those of you who don't know who Sam Cedar is, uh, check out the Majority Report. It is on YouTube every uh, week uh, every day uh, of the week um, at noon uh, Eastern time, and uh, you know uh, watch watch the majority report, which is a great uh, news show and long form interviews uh, as well as like you know yeah. opinions and stuff. It's, it's, and a fun half. Yes, yes, where he takes the libertarian callers, and you get that if you actually watch it, you get the joke that I was making. But that's okay. Mm -hmm. We don't need to worry about that. What we do need to do is talk about protonic reversal. Yes, sure. Yes. Uh, yeah. So, so Protonic Reversal, my show, of course, airs on Thursdays. Thursday, uh, have you heard about this holiday? This Thanksgiving, guys? You heard about this? So, obviously, no, so no show this week. Mm -hmm. uh, wait, however, interview a turkey themed band. Yes, I'm going to get right on that. Uh, Marnie Stern, the incredible Marnie Stern, was on last week. That episode is now uh, public. So, people should check that out. There's a Matthew film guy reference and the fact that I talked to Marnie Stern about Matthew Film Guy being at one of our shows. So I don't know. That's a oh, there we go. Here's Matthew in the, in the comments saying Marnie Stern. So excited. He capitalized the T as well as AS. So you know mm -hmm. that's everything you need to know. Uh but that's a great episode. Highly recommended check that one. 
Uh, Matt Protonic's back on regular schedule next week. Um, but check out that Marnie Stern show. She, she's also uh, played in the 8G band on uh, the, the late night talk show with um, what's his face? Uh, <laughs> what's the name of that show? <laughs> was it Jimmy? It was one of the Jimmys, right? Yeah, it's uh, Fallon. Fallon. The, okay. the Fallon, which I've now had. I, so, fun fact I've now had two people from the AG band on the show because Sid from Les Savvy Fab was on as well. And I've had three people from the Rolling Stone 200 Greatest Guitarists of All Time list. Mm-hmm. So, there you go. That's fantastic. So, yeah, Thursdays, check that out. Oh, oh you know um, what? You're right. It's Seth Meyers, not, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Defund late Seth Meyers is a good one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, and of course, uh, you know, get uh, Conan Neutron's music at uh, neutronfriends.bandcamp.com. Name uh, of the band is Conan Neutron, the Secret Friends. That's the yep. name of the band, and you can get you can get that music. It's not just Conan yes. Neutron music; it's a, it's its own. Correct. Uh, and, and in fact, Dolph Prahlam also has Lung, uh, Split LP. It does indeed. Which is it's great. And if you if you like stuff that rocks. You should check it out. Here's the front cover. There's the back cover. We the power of production. What a time to be alive. Front <laughs> <laughs> of the van, uh, back of the van. Also, uh, Protonic Reversal has a Patreon, one dollar a month, uh, early yes. episode access. People should sign up to that because a lot of people around the holidays tend to tend to drop off. So if you, if you like the show, which I do absolutely for free, um, that just gets you early access to the episodes. And uh, Christina's over on Twitch. Uh, find her at Cosmopolitics. Yep, um, my, ch- my, twi- my Twitch chat behaved themselves tonight. I'm real proud of you guys. <laughs> I thought you were going to say something else has behaved. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, definitely go check her out. Um, you know, Dragon, trying to support Emini and Conan as much mm-hmm. as I can. As, as I've mentioned before, you will not be one of the first against the wall. I thank you for your... Yeah. For your- <laughs> <laughs> when the revolution comes, you'll be safe. Emo dragons will be safe. Yes. Yes. So, but, but, uh, uh, yeah, you have any appearances coming up or anything special happening this week? I'm probably going to stream after this because I know my community is going to be like, what was it like? But um, this, for the most part, I'm on a Thanksgiving break for the rest of the week because I'm also doing two dog sitting jobs simultaneously. So, yeah. And I still have to work tomorrow. So, mm. Mm. oh, well. And, and Saturday. And Monday. Yeah. My vacation is ruined. <laughs> yeah. But if you want to help out Christina, go to her Patreon. Uh, it's uh, patreon.com slash cosmopolitics and uh, subscribe over there. Yeah, especially if you can't afford the $4.99 or $5.99 if you're subscribing on mobile for Twitch. Like, that would be most helpful. And uh, I think that's it. Wait, do I have any more? Yeah, no, because because we normally go to the guest last, but that's okay. We're good. Uh, Buffalo sixty six with Renee on uh, Friday day after that. And then uh, yeah, yeah. So we got a Friday episode, and then uh, Tuesday we're gonna have um, oh now I'm gonna blank on his name, aren't I? Rick Ives for uh, Rick Ives, Solid Actress, which is good. Solid, yeah, it's uh, yeah, he's the director, and uh, he's worked on a bunch of Marvel movies uh, and uh, TV shows, and The Mandalorian. So like Marvel uh, movies. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but but no. Listen, it's... kid. The only Marvel is that picture got made at all. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, no. We're, I'm excited to talk to him about uh, you know his directing because it's fantastic. Even though uh, you know, like uh, you heard me shit on digital cameras, he actually made uh, the way he used the camera in the film made it work, and I can't wait mm-hmm. to, to discuss that with him. Should be good. Yes. 
I guess uh, right. take it away, Forrest, with your final so, uh, cedar seeds, right? I mean, there's there's a you know. <laughs> oh yeah, my my chat kept saying, "Where is the seed at? Has it gotten any bigger? Show us. He needs to show us a seed." And I'm like, "We haven't want to limit schedule." That's for right. patients only, sir. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had a joke I was going to make there, but I won't. Um, <laughs> we thank um, you for your restraint. Yeah, but uh, Christina. <laughs> Final thoughts? Yeah, um, I'm a huge Albert Brooks fan. So I was, this, as we've all discussed, this film was way ahead of his time. And I'm not someone who loves reality TV. I feel like my sister would have been a better guest because that's mostly what she consumes. She loves her, you know, Real Housewives. She loves the Jersey Shore. She loves her Southern Charm. So I'm like, oh, she would have been a better guest for this occasion. But I hate all yeah. those things, to be clear. Me too, <laughs> to be honest. I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm, not, I'm more into scripted TV, but it does seem like you know a lot of the reality shows today. Oh, are just I'm not watching it. Yeah, but it does seem like a lot of the reality shows today do have scripts because, as my psychology teacher once said, a real reality show would just have one person that's a cameraman and a dude with a mic. Well, a real reality TV show would, would has that whole crew, a bunch of people sitting around watching TV, right? Like, like yeah. TV TV's only become as popular as it is because there's all those hours to fill. To yeah, actually yeah. have a reality show, you probably have people watching TV. Watching TV about themselves, like you know what I mean, like I mean, like this weird. <laughs> and, and they also like manufacture the drama too, because I had a friend who was on a reality show because uh, she she was uh, hoping that would be her big break into music, and um, yeah. uh, ended up not enjoying the show. Asked yeah. to be off on the second episode, and they turned her into the villain of the week. And uh, basically, yep. like in England, uh, her name is that Mud because right. of uh, uh, because of what that reality show did. Uh, so you know. Um, Fortunately, her music career has uh, survived, and she's now singing opera out in Germany. Hmm. There you go. That's why yeah. I said this. We have a bad episode of this show. Thankfully, his music career survived. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. I, I definitely recommend this film for those who you know do love like the mockumentary, you know, deconstructive comedy, and if you're a big Albert Brooks fan, you know, like myself. And uh, it's funny that they mentioned Private Benjamin because my favorite part of the whole film is when they're having sex and he just has a heart attack right there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that but that's yeah. another film we should cover. Oh, that'd be so good because I love that movie. <laughs> All right. Well, Andy, final thoughts. Uh, you know, one of the things I didn't get to really bring up is that uh, I was, uh, I kind of, you know, like uh, Conan and I were a little bit uh, too young to kind of feel like catch Albert Brooks in his prime. Because, um, like, you know, uh, by the time we were coming of age, like, like, uh, those movies that, you know, his later movies, um, not saying that they're bad or anything, but they're just not as good as his early stuff. Doesn't and, hit the same. You, you have to kind of go, you have to willfully have someone tell you, you should go back and check out these earlier movies because they're rad. Yeah. And, and uh, so, so this was my first time actually watching, uh, you know, uh, real life, which, which is uh, great. And I, uh, you know, this is, this is, uh, you know, I still laughed out loud, uh, you know, at the jokes, um, I think the whole thing where you're like, I'm sorry, sir, we lost your horse. And he's like, don't you have somebody for that? <laughs> and he goes off to look for his horse. It's like my favorite part of the whole movie, which I uh, did not really get to bring up. Um, but uh, that's what these moments are for. Um, so, so yeah, I really do appreciate the fact that you're making did. this a meta referential bit. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about the better referential bits. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> but but no, I, I, I'm so glad that that we were actually able to actually look at this film and uh, talk about it because like so I uh, probably would not have uh you know found it on my own. Yeah. Gotta watch Catwoman. Right. <laughs> Conan, final thoughts. Uh prescient Ryan's role mockumentary. 
Uh, we haven't really talked about the fact that it's basically possibly the first. Uh, it lampooned and predicted both reality television. And again, I can't stress enough that one of the best, most negative self-portrayals in film, <laughs> which is kind of amazing. <laughs> I think you see a lot of people turning the camera back to the audience uh, these days, questioning what is reality and what's prompted and scripted and why. Uh, to see this done so effectively and entertainingly and that the embryonic phase of that is really impressive. Also, this is his first movie, which yeah. is wild because it's really good. And so that mm -hmm. tells you, and again, can't recommend the documentary enough uh, for if you're remotely interested because it, it, it's a good watch. It doesn't it doesn't break new grounds in like the form of documentaries, but it's a very Ironically. entertaining watch. Yeah. <laughs> But if you want to see him, uh, Albert Brooks and Rob Ryan are cut up about stuff over his career. It's, it's about it's, how about how much new ground uh, Albert Brooks has broken over his life. But then you know, on a, on a, but the uh, documentary uh, itself is it's a documentary. What do you think it is? That's what it is. <laughs> hey kid, what do you think it's gonna be? Transgressive? I guarantee you, it's nuts. That's oh, all right. Yeah. So uh, we'll be back on Friday after Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Uh, hope you have a good one. The holiday, the holiday that I like because you don't have any, uh, you don't have any pressure to do any like religious or ceremonial shit. You can just eat. I like that. Get on the